0: Good evening. I wonder when the last time was that any of you wrote a letter? It's kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit these days, hasn't it? And uh, we tend more towards email or text messages or or anything like that. But there are still occasions when uh, we tend to write letters, aren't there? Um, There might be letters that we write because we've got really bad service in a shop or we're fed up with the bank manager or whatever it may be. Um, We might write thank you letters. That time at Christmas I used to hate so much. A present from an auntie that I didn't want anyway, and then I had to write a thank you letter. Shame on me. We might write love letters, might we? Something like that. Got a few letters here this evening. I keep copies of all the letters that I receive. Here's one. Wonder if Oliver remembers this. I was away on business for quite a long time and um, came back safely on an aeroplane. Thankfully, not that aeroplane. Um, <laughs> but that lovely letter was waiting for me when I arrived home. is that nice? Sentiments there. Welcome home, Dad. Uh, Letter from my dad. My dad's a really good letter writer. Um, He always comes up with really interesting words to put in there and uh, and lots of in-jokes, takes time over it. You need to know him in order to understand it. So I'm not going to take time to read through all that now, but um, he still maintains that lost art or that dying art of letter writing. What about this one from William? Um, (laughs) Father's Father's Day letter or card for me. I think that was a, a bit of a backhanded compliment. Um, just in case you can't read it, it says, Great job, Dad. I turned out awesome. <laughs> and you did, William. Well done. <laughs> well, over the next 11 weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at a letter, uh, a letter from Peter. Um, as far as letters go, it's a long one uh, five chapters, 105 verses. But as far as books of the Bible go, it's relatively short um so we're going to be spending quite a bit of time digging into it in quite a lot of detail shared out through a number of different guys and thank you many of you out here this evening um so we'll see how we kick off uh with this for a starter so let's turn to first peter shall we i'm sorry i didn't look up the um the page number in the church bibles are you someone there with it can you shout out when you found it 1219 thank you 1219 if you're using the church bibles And it's 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray, shall we, as we turn to studying his word. God, our Father, we uh, thank you again for the freedom to uh, open the Bible uh, and read your words to us, even at this time. Thank you that we're free from persecution in that way. Thank you that we uh, have free access to it. Now, as we spend a few minutes uh, considering this passage, we ask, please, that you would speak to us, that the the words that uh, we listen to would go directly to our hearts, but you would uh, instruct us and reveal to each one of us individually the particular message that you want us to uh, take home, the thoughts that you want us to be meditating meditating upon uh, tonight and to take through into the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. So this letter was written um, around about 50 to 65 AD, uh, given the best estimates. And it's also uh, assessed that Jesus was crucified around about 30 to 33 um, AD. So we're looking uh, at a letter that has been written to a church that has been growing for sort of 20 to 25 years. And it's a church that's had explosive growth. It started with the 12 disciples, but we know that there were, there were more than that. But it was enough to meet together in the upper room, wasn't it? And then on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 more that were added to the number. And it's increased rapidly over the intervening years. Paul had done his missionary journeys. Uh, and the gospel had been spread, the gospel accounts had been uh, put together at this time. And then in Acts 11, we read about the fact that the church was being persecuted. And as a result of that, they were spreading out and they were going to various different areas um, around the known world. And it is to some of these Christians in other countries that Paul is writing. Map shown here, so the, the world as it was, and roughly highlighted there, we have Israel. Um, and the surrounding areas in which Jesus did his ministry on earth uh, and the Christian message started. And the letter that Peter is writing here is, as we read in the first, um, the first verse of the chapter, addressed to Christian churches that are in the area of modern-day Turkey, uh, spread around that area. So a number of different geographical areas and he's writing to Christian believers in that particular area. By this time then, so sort of 20 to to 25 years after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity has exploded on the scene and has become something that is now recognised by the authorities um, and there's persecution going on as a result of that, Peter is one of the rock stars of the Christian faith, if you like. He is one of the people who is incredibly well known. And this letter that Peter is writing to the churches, possibly some of the churches that he's visited but certainly churches that would have heard about Peter, this letter that he is sending to the churches, it would be a little bit like David Beckham writing a letter to the local football leagues around Suffolk. Or it would be like uh, Sir Richard Attenborough writing a letter to the A-level biology classes in different schools around this country. Or it might be like Billy Graham writing a letter of encouragement to students who just started on some theology course uh, at some university. It's that kind of level that we have from Peter. Don't remember, we, uh, d- don't forget, we, we have the accounts of Peter in the Gospels and we think of him as this guy who made all these mistakes and got it wrong on so many different occasions. But this was a guy who had been with Jesus. This was a guy who had seen amazing things being done this was a guy who was there at the birth of the church and this was a guy who was now writing to some of these churches that were dispersed about uh, through the region of modern day Turkey. What are the kind of things that he's going to write? Is he going to sit down writing this letter and start talking about, oh, the times I was with Jesus, it was incredible. You should have seen it when I walked on water. I really aced that one. Or is he going to write about the time when um, he denied Jesus Uh, and actually all went really wrong for him, Uh, and he had to have a a reboot and and restart. Or is he going to write about raising people from the dead? Or is he going to be writing about the amazing times in the early church uh, in Jerusalem um, after the resurrection of Jesus? Or is he going to be writing about the ascension? No, in these opening sections, when Peter is writing to these Christians who are in desperate need of hearing a word of encouragement, he writes to them about salvation the most important thing that he can be addressing them on. Whenever we take time to write a letter, we think carefully about what goes into it, don't we? And Peter's taken very careful consideration before he writes this genuine letter to these churches. And he opens it up with a focus directly upon the importance of salvation through Jesus Christ. So three aspects to look at through these 12 verses. Firstly, the unmistakable nature of salvation through Jesus Christ. Have you ever found yourself alone? Maybe, uh, in a smile from Tim out there, maybe you found yourself alone when there's been nobody around and you've got that feeling of utter loneliness in an area of desolation and you feel like it is just you and nobody else in the world. Maybe you feel That you're alone when you're in a crowd of people and everybody's ignoring you and you just feel that you are completely alone and isolated by yourselves. You may have been journeying away from home or it may be when you are sitting in your front room at home. Well Peter is addressing these believers in the various churches as strangers or as exiles Or as sojourners, an interesting word to use in one of the translations, because if you know your Old Testament well, you'll know that there were many laws around the care for sojourners who were the aliens in the land. The people who were passing through, the people who were usually the outcasts. And Peter recognises now that these Christians in these churches, uh, in these different cities scattered around the region uh, of Turkey, um, are feeling alone and they're feeling isolated. They are strangers. They are not where they are eternally supposed to be. He doesn't encourage them to take heart by saying, oh, you know, cheer up, it isn't all that bad. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry, every cloud has a silver lining, you'll get through this particular one. He doesn't say keep calm and carry on or anything like that. He doesn't gloss over any of it. He goes straight to salvation and the importance of that salvation through Jesus Christ. So for these first five, five verses, that unmistakable salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And let's quickly have a look at four aspects from these five verses. First of all, God is entirely involved in the salvation of the believers in those cities and exactly the same way he's entirely involved in our salvation. Notice in verses 2 and 3 there that all three members of the Godhead are mentioned. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. There is nothing minor about the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. The last time that the explicit involvement of of the three members of the Godhead is stated in this way, implied in this way, is back in creation when the three-in-one God is there creating the whole universe by the power of his voice and ultimately, of course, creating mankind. And Peter's harking back to that in the verses that he's got here and highlighting for us the supreme significance of salvation. It is the most important thing that we can ever focus upon in our lives. And it's the most important and relevant thing that Peter is calling these strangers, these lost Um, these wandering people back to to focus on Jesus. Never fall into the trap of thinking that salvation through Jesus Christ is some kind of super bus ticket or it's a passport or anything like that. It is everything and the whole Godhead were involved in it. Secondly, coming out here, the fact that God has chosen them. It talks about them being elect in verse 1. Talks about God's foreknowledge of their salvation in verse 2. It talks about Him causing their salvation in verse 3. This idea of God choosing us and the election is not for the proud Christian who thinks that everything is all right in their own power. And it's not for the backslider who is denying the power of Jesus Christ. This is Peter. Writing to Christians who are finding themselves in really hard times and he is saying to them, take heart, be strong, be brave because your salvation is secure in the fact that God chose you. It wasn't your act. He has chosen you and selected you. Thirdly, it's a salvation that is for now. It's not something that's just to come in the future. Salvation applied to their lives in Turkey and it applies to our lives in Bradfield and Ruffham and the surrounding area today as well. In verse three, he talks about the living hope. So often we hope in things that are really ethereal, don't we? And we can't really put a finger on what they are. Um, But Peter here is referring to the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It is defined, it's understood and it is something that is present he talks in verse 5 about us being guarded. It's not that, the, that we will be guarded, we are being guarded in the salvation that we have at the moment. It is present and continuous. And then that same present and continuous in terms of being revealed. We often fall into the trap, don't we, of thinking, "Ah, oh, yeah, I've had my card stamped, I've become a Christian. And now I've just got to kind of carry on with it until I die and then everything's going to be all right because I will be saved. That's not what Peter is teaching us through these verses. He is saying our salvation is so central and it is being revealed even in our lives today. And of course it won't be revealed in, fulfill, in fulfillment until we are in glory and time has been wound up. But it is a present and continuing salvation. And then fourthly, it's for eternity. It's imperishable And it's unfading, as it says in verse four, and many other pictures that uh, that he uses for it there. But in, in a world where so much was passing away for these believers, they'd been rooted in different spots, no doubt, and then persecution had come along, and they had to move on. Maybe, as many Christians are doing even today, they've had to abandon homes. Maybe they had to abandon family members. They had to abandon businesses. Maybe they had to abandon everything that they had been building their lives upon. But Peter is assuring these believers that the salvation that they have is into eternity. And it's interesting, isn't it? The comparison he makes is even with gold. Gold, that run-to investment, the thing that in really bad times everyone wants to get their hands on because gold is the one thing that is going to be maintained. Uh, And compared to gold, uh, there is no comparison with gold in terms of salvation. He talks as gold being passing away, but our salvation is pressing on into eternity moving on to verse 6 have you ever felt like you've been put to the test really been tried on things what about SATs, they've fairly recently passed haven't they, some uh, parents have had to deal with kids stressing over SATs, some are in the middle of GCSEs or or A-levels or the maybe tests that you're going through at work Um, There may be other tests that you have in terms of challenges that you've got with family members or challenges that you've got with colleagues, or maybe you feel you're going through uh, a testing time at church. Have you ever felt that you've really been put to the test? These uh, following verses, uh, verse 6 through to verse 9, talk a lot about testing, talks about in the context of trial and testing and fire that's in there. But we have, and Peter is encouraging to focus upon the fact that we have unmistakable salvation through trials. Firstly, let's consider, as Peter encourages us, to remember that trials are necessary in verse 6. Often we think, don't we, when, uh, when things aren't working out exactly the way that we wanted them to, that something must be going desperately wrong. God, why have you deserted me because this particular thing is happening to me? But Peter tells us that trials are necessary, and it's easy for us to, to dismiss it, but we know that quite clearly from what is said elsewhere in the Bible. Um, peter actually refers through the throughout this uh, letter of 1 peter uh, he re- he refers to sufferings more than fifteen times using eight different words. And later on in this series we'll be looking in much more detail at, at trials and sufferings. But you can see just from this book that it's recognised that there will be trials and there will be sufferings. And right the way out th- throughout the New Testament, every single book in the New Testament talks about the fact that we will suffer. And we will, will face trials as we go on in our Christian faith. But Peter incur- encourages us with saying that these are necessary, they're actually um, ordained by the Lord for us in terms of uh, the, the tasks that he has for us to fulfill, the things that, things that he wants us to do. And we know that, don't we? Because we look at our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as the, as the perfect example of one who is going through trials, through the ultimate testing. And if that's what he went through, we should never think that we shouldn't have to face trials either either. But Peter encourages us by saying that those trials are necessary. John chapter 16 and verse 33 tells us that uh, Jesus says to us, in this world you will have have trouble. We're told to take up our cross uh, and follow him. And even through those trials, uh, our salvation continues to be unmistakable, secure and strong. Secondly, trials prove our faith. Talks about the tested genuineness of our faith, doesn't it, in in verse seven. Um, You can have something that's genuine without it being tested. You could could have a Rolex watch that's a, a genuine Rolex watch, but actually we know the world is full of fake Rolex watches Rolex watches that have come from all sorts of different areas, don't we? Uh, And those people that have a Rolex watch have a certificate and it's proved by the jeweller that it is a genuine watch. It is the real thing. It's not some fake that's been uh, put together in some uh, backstreet market out in Asia. So the watches can be genuine without being tested. But once they've been taken away and proved by the manufacturer, then you know it is the genuine uh, and real thing: do we want our faith to be genuine? Do we want our faith to be genuine for us? Do we want our faith to be seen to be genuine to those who are around us and watch what is happening in our lives day by day? Then, under those circumstances, we should give thanks for the trials that we face that show that our faith is genuine. I've just finished reading a a very challenging book by Francis Chan and he's talking about the interactions that he had with the Christians in China uh, when he was meeting with them in the house church. He's going through real persecution and he said the times in prayer meetings with them were like nothing else he'd ever experienced in the West in that they were actively praying that they would be persecuted for the sake of the gospel Because they saw it as something to be treasured as a proof of their salvation. And they were even to the point where their faith was so strong that they were praying that they would be found worthy to be martyrs for the sake of the gospel. And that's a challenge to me as I read these words from Peter. As I sit at home and something happens to not be working out the way that I would have planned it. And I too often fall into the trap of grumbling And even questioning whether God knows what he's doing in a particular circumstance. The Lord loves us greatly. He has fashioned salvation for us. And he is working out trials in our lives so that our faith can be proved genuine for the encouragement of us. And for the witness to others. And thirdly, in terms of our trials. um, These are not a result of our wrongdoings. Uh, There are consequences when we do things wrong. Of course there are. We can sin and we can go off the rails, um, but that's not what we're referring to here. Uh, this, is, this is Peter looking at um, the trials that come our way as a result of right living in our lives. And of course, when he is speaking to the Christians out in this area of Turkey, these are people who are suffering persecution um, as it starts to rise uh, within these areas as a result of their faith. Remember here in terms of the context that uh, that Peter is talking about goldsmith. Um, When he's talking about the trials, he's talking about a goldsmith refining the gold uh, to get rid of the impurities. This isn't the picture of somebody who's fallen into sin. This is the picture of Christ lovingly working with us to purify us in our faith uh, and to ensure that it is so much more genuine. And then fourthly, these trials should bring about praise and glory to Jesus Christ. Look at Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, uh, talking about the trials that we experience and how that transfers the worship and glory to Jesus Christ. Look at some of the wonderful pictures in Revelation uh, of the redeemed church finally in eternity uh, giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, amazingly, and I wrestled a bit with this, actually, when I was looking through this passage, uh, the context of verse 7 clearly talks about um, praise and glory coming to us uh, as individuals um, through the testing of our faith and the trials that we have. Um, By extension, of course, being passed on to Jesus Christ, but we should take encouragement from the trials that we face on a daily basis. Give thanks for them. Don't turn to God and grumble when we find ourselves in situations that we think mistakenly that he doesn't know what he is doing. Before we move on, let's just stop for a moment in verse 8. I'm sure all of us here this evening will have read this many, many times. And as with so many passages in the Bible, it's easy to do, isn't it, to skip over it as we're, we're reading a collection of verses together or as we're quickly having our quiet time uh, in the morning. But verse 8 um, says to us uh, partway through Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When was the last time that you stopped to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible? Not throw away words, but taking those words for what they actually mean. Deep joy that is inexpressible because of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. I tend to have joy for things that go well at work. Or we have joy over exam results that have gone really well, don't we? Or we have joy because suddenly we've managed to get the family together and we thought it wasn't going to happen in that way. Or we have joy because we've got holiday coming up. Or we have joy because we made all the plans and it's worked out really well for us exactly the way it was supposed to be. Deep, inexpressible joy at salvation through Jesus Christ. An amazing challenge, isn't it, to, to feed on these words of Peter and to focus back on what salvation in Jesus Christ really means for us. And then finally, D-Day celebrations. We just had, haven't we? I didn't get a chance to watch much of it on the television, but I did see uh, bits of it cropping up on the news. And it was amazing to uh, think about all the um, sacrifice that had gone on 75 years ago and the memory uh, that we had looking back and the thanks that was given uh, for everything that had been done there. But it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, as, we, as we look back, we see all these soldiers who were gathering um, in southern England, ready for the battle that was going on ahead before them, and they they didn't know what was coming. Even the supreme commanders didn't exactly know the date, but there were hints as to what was coming uh, in terms of the way it was all going to work out uh, and work together. And now we look back 75 years later at that amazing event when all the plans came together, and it was the start of the end in terms of those terrible years of the Second World War. And the same in terms of our salvation, we can look at our unmistakable salvation throughout the course of history. Firstly, in these final couple of verses, verse 10 and 11, we can look back and we can see the prophets looking forward. These men of God who only had very slight glimpses of what the future held and of the uh, the future plans that were going to be revealed to them. And yet they inquired carefully what the Spirit of Christ was saying to them. How much time do we spend inquiring carefully into the word of God to understand through the Spirit of Christ in us what he has to say say to us about the salvation that we have now? How much time do we spend inquiring carefully into the word of God, looking back to the wonderful events on that cross around about AD 33 and the implications that it has for our lives today? The prophets who had a limited amount of information before the Lord inquired carefully to see what might be out there. And we should be doing the same. Also forward looking as well. We've talked about the present continuous nature of our salvation, haven't we? And the revealing in the final times. There is prophecy that is to be fulfilled. We need to do it under advice and we need to do it with the steering of the Spirit of God in us. But let's continue to look to the future. Our lives are not all about the here and now. Secondly, there was serving others. Verse 12. Salvation, this unspeakable salvation that we're talking about. Of course, it's a personal thing. You must be born again as an individual. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then there is nothing more important that you can do than to accept him. It's a personal thing. But beyond that, salvation has implications for everybody else as well. And as the prophets were serving others, in verse 12, we need to be doing the same. Once it's become a personal thing, It has to become so much more than that. And we need to be preaching it to others. I was really challenged a couple of weeks ago. I was down in London um, uh, involved in some open-air speaking and some Christian outreach. And to my shame, it's the first time in many years that I've been actively involved in one-to-one conversations with people about salvation in Jesus Christ and what it really means. And over the space of a weekend, I had about 50 conversations And probably about a third of those were with people who knew nothing about salvation in Jesus Christ. They might have known his name, they might have had a vague idea, but they knew nothing more than that. It's a challenge to me and it should be a challenge to all of us that there are people out there who don't know about this salvation that we have. And then thirdly, and finally, in verse 12, these are things which the angels long to look into it's incredible isn't it that um, society knows all about angels we sing about angels in songs that our loved ones are are, are like the angels because they're so incredible and we talk about angels in terms of their amazing power and the bible does uh, of course talk about uh, the angels in terms of their power Uh, psalm 103 verse 2 talks about them their power and obedience before god Uh, and we know that the angels serve before god and they see him Um, face to face they're instructed by him but salvation isn't for the angels as wonderful as they are salvation has been wrought and bought for you and for me and it takes us full circle doesn't it right back to the start where we were saying that Peter was encouraging these believers with the fact that God had chosen them he'd selected them specially and individually And at the end of this section we see again that actually that salvation, so wonderful as it is, isn't even for the angel, it's for us. And as we're feeling troubled and persecuted in the lives that we have to lead, as we're struggling with the trials that are before us, we should take heart that salvation has been offered to us freely and we should act in the light of that today. Thank you for listening. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I hope it's a challenge to you as you go out into the week ahead. Let me pray and then I'm going to hand over to the music group and uh, we're going to sing a couple more songs before closing. God our Father, we thank you for time in the word this evening. We thank you for these powerful words uh, that you spoke through Peter that uh, can speak to us through the years. We ask please that you would Uh, Help us to repent for the way that we may have lightly held the wonder of this salvation. That you would help us to marvel at the power of salvation this week. And that you might graciously permit us to be overtaken with joy that is inexpressible when we spend time meditating upon salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.